Well, good morning, Chapel Rock. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad that everyone's joined us, whether you're here in the auditorium or you're online. We're grateful that you're being a part of this. We're starting a new sermon series today out of the book of Isaiah. And we're taking a few chapters that are known as the Servant Songs. And we are using those to uh, enter this new time of preaching entitled The Rhapsody of Redemption. And it's all about uh, what God is and who he is and what he has done for us. You're going to find out that the word rhapsody in musical uh, conjunction simply means that these songs are stitched together. They're brought together in order to give us a better picture of who God is and what he does for us and how he works in our lives. And so we're glad you're going to be a part of that. And today we start with chapter 40. If you want to open your Bibles there, Isaiah, the 40th chapter, where I'm going to be preaching a message on a powerful song. It's all about the power of God. But before we do that, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, I'm so grateful, Lord, so grateful that we have pictures of who you are and what you are doing in our lives. I'm so grateful, Lord, that the scripture is so clear about your love for us and and the power that's demonstrated on our behalf. And then, Father, how you've called us to be your very own. And so I'm grateful, Father, for that. I'm just praying today, Lord, as we enter into this series and especially into this chapter in Isaiah, I pray, Father, we'll glean from it. And we'll hear what we need to hear and see what we need to see so that we can apply it to our lives. We're thankful most of all today for Jesus, our Savior. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. His name was Lieutenant Sam Brown. He was a two-year graduate just out of West Point Academy when he was assigned his first tour of duty in Afghanistan. Lieutenant Sam Brown was leading his unit on a regular mission that day in September of 2008 when all of a sudden, underneath his Humvee, an IED exploded and turned his Humvee into a huge fireball. Lieutenant Sam Brown will tell you today that he doesn't know how he got out of that vehicle. All he knows is that he got out, he just felt burning on his flesh. And so he began to throw sand on his face and on his body, and he just screamed out loud as he dropped to his knees, Jesus, save me! Now, it wasn't because... It was a last-ditch effort. You see, Lieutenant Sam Brown was a believer. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he thought he was going to die. And so in that moment, he just reached out to the heavens and asked for God to deliver him. Well, it wasn't God who came. It was the gunner off his Humvee who grabbed him and drug him behind a wall to gain protection from the gunfire that was taking place. And as Lieutenant Sam Brown looked down, he still felt that burning sensation on his body. He noticed that his gloves, his protective gloves, were melting to his skin. And so he gave the order to the private, the gunner, off his Humvee, to pull his gloves off. And the private hesitated, and he said, that's an order. And so he pulled the gloves off, and off of the gloves came parts of his hands. He screamed in pain. He began to lose consciousness and then was aware and then he wasn't and then he was aware. 
The next thing he knew, a, a vehicle arrived, and they began to load him onto the back of that vehicle to get him out of there, to evac him. He said as he got loaded onto the back of that truck, he caught a picture of himself in the mirror on the cab. He didn't recognize himself. They got him to a hospital, and they got him then from that field hospital to another hospital, and Lieutenant Sam Brown, from September 2008, and for the next three years, had dozens of painful surgeries. He was alive, but sometimes he didn't know how. Doctors and nurses really didn't know how. As they began to do all those surgeries and take care of him, Lieutenant Sam Brown wondered if he would ever be right again. And then, Beauty walked into his room one day. A dietitian by the name of Amy. And Amy walked in and she was to monitor his intake because Lieutenant Sam Brown, because of the burns and the flesh and the surgeries, his mouth was now about the size of a coin. And she was to monitor how much he took in and, and what he was putting out and how much weight he was going to gain and those kind of things to keep his nutrition up. And, and Amy, man, he said she was cute and had dark hair and brown eyes. But what struck him the most was that she didn't flinch when she saw him. Hmm. And so, over the next few weeks, they had conversations. And eventually, they were together one day, and she was asking questions, and he decided to ask one himself, would you like to go out this Friday? She said yes. And they went to a rodeo. And then the next weekend, they went to a friend's wedding, a two-hour drive or so. And over the two-hour drive, Lieutenant Sam Brown told his story of faith to Amy. See, she wasn't a believer. And he began to tell her how the only way he'd ever made it to this point was by the power of God. And that God had saved him and that God was going to use him in a unique way. He knew that. And she listened and eventually... Over the next few weeks, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And eventually, they married. And not too long after that, they had a beautiful baby boy. And today, Sam Brown, no longer a lieutenant, directs a program that helps wounded soldiers get back into life. If you asked him, how did you do it? How in the world did you make it? I mean, what was it that, that kept you going? What was it that kept you sane during all those surgeries and all the pain? And in fact, if he tells you a story today, he'll tell you that when the doctors would ask, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your pain level? He would tell them there's no number on the scale. But if you ask him how he did it, he'll tell you it's by the power of God that he made it. It's by the power of God that he was able to do what he did. It was the power of God that saved him from all of those difficult times in his life. And it's now the power of God that carries him every day as he ministers and cares for others who have been wounded soldiers as well. Lieutenant Sam Brown, pretty interesting story. The power of God. Isaiah, the 40th chapter teaches us about the power of God. 
Isaiah, the 40th chapter, tells us how we can get through difficult times with the power of God. And so if you have your Bibles open today, I want you to keep them open in Isaiah 40, and we're going to take just sections of this chapter, and we're going to talk about how God demonstrates his power to us. And the first thing you'll notice if you read the chapter is that God shows his power, his omnipotence. We use that word sometimes. It just means he's all-powerful. God shows his power when he speaks to us through his word. Look at the first eight verses of Isaiah 40, if you will. The Bible reads like this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That was the captivity they had been in. It's over. It's completed. Her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There it is. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. When God speaks, he speaks through his word to us. A voice says, cry out, and I shall, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Did you notice there in those eight verses, three different times, it talks about how God speaks. About God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. Now we know that the word of God is how we know about him. Without the word of God, we would not know much about God and we would know nothing about redemption. The sad part is that many people today, even in churches, take the word of God and they already have a preconceived idea of what they want the word to say and so they'll find a few verses that they can use to prove their own point. Shame on them. You should always let the word of God speak. You should always let the word of God speak for itself and don't add to it what you think you believe in your life. Just let God speak. Because how he is powerful in your life is through his word. A few scriptures that will help us understand that. We begin in Psalm 119, and Psalm 119 will tell us that very thing, that the power of God is there. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, O God. It goes on, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. It goes on. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, we're supposed to keep the commands of God. We're supposed to live by the commands of God. What about John 1? John 1 verse 1 and John 1 verse 14, we see these verses. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We're talking about Jesus. And in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace 
and truth. The Word of God carries grace and truth. Okay? We need to know that. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we also find these words, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now notice this. That the servant of God may th be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the Word of God is what teaches us about God and teaches us about redemption. It's full of grace. It's full of truth. We hide it in our heart so we won't sin against God. When God speaks to us, He does it through His Word. You see, it is the origin and the content of God's Word that matters. Now think about that. I often tell my class on Sunday morning, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think the Word says. I don't care what you think the Bible might mean. I don't really care what you think it ought to say. I only care about what God says. It's His Word. It's not yours, and it's not mine. It's His Word. And if we'll let it speak, it'll help us live out our lives in greater fashion. Now, Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, the first three verses, reminds us again of why the Word is so important. Deuteronomy says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that He may know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands? He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Feeding you with what? Feeding you with manna. Feeding you with His Word. His Word is important. His Word, His commands. And we need to keep those commands in our lives. We move on to Isaiah Isaiah, the chapter that we're going to go into, 55, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God says His Word's not coming back void. His Word's not coming back empty. He's going to send it out. It will accomplish what it's meant to accomplish, whether you want to be a part of it or not. You see, when God shows His power, He speaks to us through His Word. One more in James 1 and verse 22. James 1, says this, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just listen, but do what it says. You know how you translate that last part? Just do it. And you thought Nike had that claim, right? God came up with it first. Don't just listen to my word, just do it. Make sure you do the word in your life. Now, if you want to polish that off, look at verse 8 again. It says at the very end of that first section, but the word of our God stands forever. When God shows his power, he speaks to us. Through his word. But secondly, when God shows his power, his omnipotence, when he shows that power, he shepherds us with his comfort. 
Look at verses 9 through 11. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Now see, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. There it is. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He, he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those that have young. When God shows his power, he shepherds us with his comfort. See, at this point in time, Israel was really tired. They'd been in captivity. They'd been slaves in a foreign land. They hadn't been in Jerusalem for a long time. They were struggling to get back. And God said, you know what I'll do for you? I'll just shepherd you all the way home. I'll just take care of you. I'll shepherd you. I'll, I'll move you that direction. I'll take care of you. Did you notice in verse 10, it says that see the sovereign Lord comes Sovereign Lord is a Hebrew phrase. That Hebrew phrase comes from two Hebrew words, Adonai, Yahweh. It can be translated shepherd king. Why? Because God is both strong and caring. Strong and shepherding. Strong and gentle. God, when he shepherds us, he shepherds us the way he would shepherd all others, like this. Did you see verse 11? He gathers the lambs in his arms. Hmm. He holds them close to his heart. He gently leads them. The shepherd will always do that for his sheep. Some of the favorite paintings of all time about biblical scripture are paintings of a good shepherd as he carries the lamb, and as he carries the lamb up against his chest, close to his heart so he can get them where they need to go. Yeah, yeah. In John the 10th chapter, we find a passage where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. One of the seven I am's that you find in the gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Listen to what he says. It's a little bit lengthy, but I want you to hear it. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, that guy's a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and his sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Huh. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. And all who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes in only to steal and to kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. 
So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Wow. Wow. But I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them as well. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. You know what he's talking about. The gathering of all believers from around the world. It'll be one flock. Okay. And then he says, I have other sheep and they're going to listen and they're going to come and I'll be the one shepherd. And the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Hmm. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And when God shows his power, he shows his power through shepherding. He shepherds us with his comfort. With regard to Psalm 23, which begins what? You all know that, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That's right. Max Cater writes this about those words. When Lloyd Douglas, the author of The Robe and other novels, attended college, he lived in a boarding house. A retired wheel-bound music professor resided on the first floor. Each morning, Douglas would stick his head in the door of the teacher's apartment and ask the same question. Well, what's the good news? And the old man would pick up his tuning fork, tap it on the side of the wheelchair, and say, that's middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It'll be middle C tomorrow. It'll be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs, he sings flat. The piano across the hall is out of tune. But my friend, that is middle C. Max writes, you and I need a middle C. Haven't you had enough change in your life? Relationships change, health changes, the weather changes. But the God who ruled the earth last night is the same God who rules it today. Same conviction, same plan, same mood, same love. He never changes. You can no more alter God than a pebble can alter the rhythm of the Pacific Ocean. Yahweh, God, is our middle sea, a still point in a turning world. Don't we need a still point? Don't we need an unchanging shepherd? God, our shepherd, doesn't check the weather. He makes it. He doesn't defy gravity. He created it. He isn't affected by health. He has no body. Jesus said God is spirit in John 4, 24. And since he has no body, he has no limitations, equally active in Cambodia as he is in Connecticut. And since no act brought him forth, no act can take him out. Does he fear an earthquake? Does he tremble at a tornado? Hardly. God sleeps through storms and calms the winds with a word. Cancer does not trouble him and cemeteries do not disturb him. He was here before they came and he'll be here after they're gone. Counselors can comfort you in the storm, but you need a God who can still the storm. Friends can hold your hand at your deathbed, but you need a God who has defeated the grave. Philosophers can debate the meaning of life, but you need a Lord who can declare the meaning of life. You need a God. You don't need to carry the burden of a lesser God, a God on a shelf, a God in a box, a God in a bottle. No. 
You need a God who can place 100 billion stars in our galaxy and 100 billion galaxies in the universe. You need a God who can shape two fists of flesh into 75 to 100 billion nerve cells, each with as many as 10,000 connections to other nerve cells, put it in your skull, and call it a brain. And you need a God who, while so mind-numbingly mighty, can come in the soft of the night and touch you with the tenderness of an April snow. You need a God. And according to King David... You have one. He's your shepherd. He's your shepherd. And when God wants to demonstrate his power, when he wants to show his power in your life, he comes as a shepherd. And he shepherds you with his comfort. There's one more in this chapter. At the very end, a passage that you all identify with, you've all heard before, at the very end of the chapter, when God shows his power, he strengthens you by his grace. He strengthens you by his grace. Beginning in chapter 40, verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Listen, he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. And even youths go tired and weary, young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When God wants to show his power, he will strengthen you by his grace. You think Israel was tired coming home from captivity? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were weary. They'd been slaves for many years. They were coming home with almost nothing. But God supplied what they needed and got them back to Jerusalem. How tired are you today? of the life you're living? How tired are you of the things you have to deal with physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? How tired are you? Do you need strength? God can give that. Do you need his power? God can supply that. Do you need something to keep you going tomorrow? God can give you that. That's why Jesus, when he taught them how to pray, he said, pray this, Give us this day our daily bread. What you need tomorrow, God has. What you need to finish today, God has. What you need to put into your life in order to get through the next week, God has that. All you need to do is go to him, follow him, put your faith in him, trust him, and he will be your strength. Hmm. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me yeah it's through christ who strengthens me i can't do it on my own it's only by his strength that i can do what i do <clears throat> throughout the book of psalms there are many of the psalms that speak about this i only picked out four and i want to show these real quickly on the screen four scriptures that you need to be aware of psalm 28 the lord is my strength and my shield my heart trusts in him 
and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I praise him. Go on. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Go on. Psalm 118, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. One more. Psalm 119, my soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Yeah. You see, you can find a whole bunch more there in the book of Psalms. You can find a bunch in Proverbs. In fact, you can find them throughout Scripture where God is willing to strengthen you. He's willing to make you stronger. He's willing to help you find that strength. He'll show his power by strengthening you by his grace, his ever-present streaming grace. It comes from his word. The old hymn, I can't help but think about it. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark that is never failing. He doesn't fail. We do. We struggle. We fall down. We try to get up. It's only by his strength that we can do so. And in fact, if you take your Bibles and you're in chapter 41, or chapter 40, look at verse, uh, chapter 41 and verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. <laughs> Our God, he is an awesome God. And he is the one who can help you. When he shows his power, he does so by speaking to us through his word, shepherding us with his comfort, and strengthening us by his grace. Many of you know that uh, last summer I was on a short-term mission trip, a work trip. I usually take about 10 or 12 guys every summer. We go to St. Louis Christian College and we do work on their campus to save them money. Well, last summer I was up on a ladder about five and a half feet up. I was uh, putting gutter guards on the gutters and when I drilled a screw into the gutter, wasps came up out of the downspout and attacked me. I got stung twice on the hand while I was fighting them off, and they kept coming in my face, and all of a sudden I realized, uh-oh, the ladder was collapsing to the left, and I didn't want to land on a ladder, so I dove to the right. I figured I'll just hit the grass and roll out, just like I used to in football, you know? The problem is I'm a little bit older. I didn't make it to the grass. I landed on a sidewalk. And my good friend Don Harmon later said, hey, Fred, I thought for sure the sidewalk would be cracked, you know. I got up and Ned Phillips bandaged me up. I was bleeding on my right calf. My right forearm was all bloodied. Wrist was stiff. Elbow was really sore. But my shoulder took the brunt of it. That night I couldn't sleep, so I went the next morning at the insistence of Ned Phillips, who was talking to my wife, back here and I went and got x-ray and they said nothing's broken I said see I told you but I couldn't use my arm I worked the rest of the week one-handed and I came home and I kept telling my wife it'll get better it'll get better and it never did five weeks later I saw a surgeon and he said oh my he said you've torn your rotator cuff really bad and your labrum there's a tear in that and your bicep tendon that hooks up to there it's shredded 
He said, I'll have to fix it. So I had surgery. And after surgery came the physical therapy. And that was no fun. But some of the most painful moments I've ever experienced in my entire life. Just trying to get the motion back into my shoulder. Today I'm happy to tell you that because of what that little therapist did for me, and she told me every day, she said, I I'm going to hurt you now. <laughs> well, thank you. But I told her, push it to the furthest you can push it. Because I want to know what that feels like. Because when I go home and do my exercises at home every single day, sometimes twice a day, I want to know what I'm supposed to feel. So she would. I got through about three and a half months of that, and she said, you know what, you're doing so well, we're done. And my surgeon a month later said, you're doing so well, you're out. Just keep doing your exercises. And I do, still today. I still do them. I've added some weights now, trying to get the strength back into my shoulder. But here's what I realized. That without the pain, there was no gain. I was not going to get stronger without the pain. And sometimes in life, we experience pain. And God's the only way you're going to get through it. God is the only answer for you to get through physical or mental or emotional or spiritual pain. He's the only way. How do I know that? Isaiah 40. It's a powerful song about a powerful God who wants to work in your life. For those of us who have hope in Jesus Christ, that's a good thing. For those of you who don't know Jesus and don't follow him and you're not put your life in his hands, it's not going to happen. You need to make a choice. You're either going to try to make it through life on your own or you're going to lean on a God who is so powerful that in one spoken word, he can heal you. By one thought, he can take away the pain. By one movement, he can make it all better. But sometimes, sometimes, you got to go through the pain to see the gain in God. What are you doing today? How are you going to make it? How are you going to get through? It's only with the help of God. So today you can make that decision. Today you can walk down front and say, you know what? I haven't been following God. I haven't been doing what he's asked me to do. I, 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 I'm a believer, but maybe not a follower. And so I've not been obedient to the word. I've not been following his commands. And I'm feeling the pain. You need to come pray with somebody. And if you have no relationship with Jesus Christ to the Father in heaven, and you need to make that decision today. Because you know what? Tomorrow will just be as bad as the other days have been. Until you walk that path with the Father. See, that pain will get better. Because you gain because of Him. I don't know what you need to do today. But it's time. It's time to do it for him. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to sing. And while we sing, 
If you'd like to make a decision for Jesus, a rededication, or say a prayer, you come. Our Father in heaven, I want to thank you, Lord, for this chapter in a big book called your Bible, called your word. And Father, I want to thank you for what it says to me. I want to thank you for what it says to every single one of us. I want to thank you for the fact that you are a strong and mighty and awesome God, the only one who deserves that term, the only thing, the only one who, who can be declared as awesome. It's you. So God, I pray for your strength to be given to each and every one of us. Help us, Father, to, to claim that. May your Holy Spirit work in our lives and our hearts to cause us to move toward you. And I pray, Father, the decisions made today will all be so that people can allow you to strengthen them. Thanks for being a powerful God, the most powerful. There's no one like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Why don't you stand? Why don't you sing with us today? And if you have a decision to make, why don't you come?